Hello everyone, and welcome to Season 3 of the Fan Fiction Tapes. I'm your host today, Maya, pronouns she, her, and today I am joined by... Riley, my pronouns are she, they. And I am our producer, Ian, my pronouns are he, him. Today's topic is all about getting woke, specifically why you should and how to do it. I always thought the saying was, go woke, go broke. You're saying that's wrong? I'm saying that's wrong. It's go woke or go broke. Eat shit, conservatives. <laughs> <laughs> so, what on earth do we mean by go woke or go broke? And actually, if you ask an American conservative, they'll tell you a million different things that going woke means, but what we're referring to is having actual diversity in your cast. That's the uh, theme behind today's episode. And to start us off with, I want to talk about why this matters. Why should you, frankly, give a shit? And kind of the answer is that it's, it can be really impactful to see someone who looks like yourself on screen. If you're white, you probably didn't have as big an issue with this. If you're neurotypical, you probably saw a lot of characters that seemed similar to you growing up, so it doesn't seem like it matters that much, but I want to tell something of a personal anecdote. Uh, I have uh, ADHD, Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, which is a terrible name. Absolute misnomer. But for me growing up, I didn't see many characters who acted or thought like me. And if you did, they wouldn't be shown in a positive light. Uh, not at all, no. If you if you saw an ADHD character growing up in the 2000s, it was usually a haha, I'm so hyperactive, watch me bounce off the walls type of portrayal, and that's kind of generally the popular understanding of what ADHD is. But that's obviously not quite the case. I actually wasn't diagnosed for many years because I could sit down and read a book and read through the whole book without doing anything else. And when I saw characters like me in uh, the Percy Jackson series, it really meant a lot to me. I saw that, hey, I can do cool things too. And it's really important that we don't just have one way of being, one type of person shown in our books uh, on the silver screen, because... Well, there's not just one type of person out there. We're all pretty darn different. I'm sure having Entrapta in uh, She-Ra was also a very nice experience, even if she wasn't always portrayed in the most positive of lights. Yeah, um, that, that was pretty nice. I was uh, quite a bit older when I came across She-Ra, um, so it wasn't quite as personally impactful for me. Um, for those of you who are not familiar with the, with the uh, 2018 adaptation of the 80s show, uh, in this adaptation, Entrapta is portrayed as autistic, and while the cast do fumble with uh, her character a couple of times regards, in regards to doing a positive uh, representation of what it's like to be autistic, it's still one of the best ones I've ever seen because you have things like The Good Doctor and uh, Big Bang Theory 
being some of your popular depictions of characters with autism. And being just a few years older than you, I grew up with a series of unfortunate events. Um, reading oh, both Violet and Klaus. And that was great. I was always tearing things apart to see how they worked, so I always uh, related to Violet for that. And the encyclopedic knowledge of uh, esoteric things was also quite the thing to relate to with Klaus, who was always reading books. I wasn't quite like the bite everything that Sunny was, but uh, still, it was it was nice to see that narrative in a story, and also the frustrations of not being taken seriously by adults portrayed so importantly. Uh, Ian, do you have an example you'd like to add to the conversation as well? I've been trying to think of anything that I can add here. Honestly, the thing that comes to mind for me is animorphs. <laughs> Not to, I figured that not would to talk on that again, but like that was my formative series, and it does have a diverse cast. All I know about that story is the uh, little lure that they get you in with, look, they turn into animals, and then child soldiers and the horrors of war. But I might be misunderstanding that series dramatically. No, that's no, about that's, right. That's about right. <laughs> um, it is, it is still something I recommend you go read. Mm. Uh, it is, I think, a good example, at least as far as diversity goes. Um, the authors there definitely tried to get away with as much as they could in a uh, children's scholastic book in the 90s. And I realized we, I don't think we really actually defined diversity, which this is, is probably true. actually useful to do. Uh, and when we're talking about diversity, we mean having a cast that includes characters from a variety of backgrounds, whether that's economic background and social class, whether that's gender identity, whether that's culture, ethnicity, the body type, and to some degree age, although I think that is slightly... Usually with the way, because what I'm thinking of is I'm, I'm largely thinking of books and TV shows, there's a certain kind of market for each one, so most of your cast will tend to be around one age group. Sure. Um, just, just for marketing reasons, and that's right there, relatability. You want your cast to be relatable, so you put them in a similar social grouping to your main audience. It's uh, probably going to be a bit of a controversial opinion here, but um, one of the formative series for me growing up was the Twilight series. And as it became mainstream and the uh, but of many jokes and subject of a lot of scrutiny, a lot of things about it didn't age very well. Like choosing a character to be a Civil War veteran for the Confederacy. Very oh interesting. But I think there's also some things that that series did that if taken 
in almost a vacuum are very positive. Uh, growing up with depression and struggling with like getting therapy, getting help, the impact of having Bella's depression portrayed as like four blank chapters with no uh, months as the titles of them was profound. And there were a lot of quirks to the characters, too. A lot of that was explored with fan fiction. Most fan fiction was uh, making Alice very ADHD. And most of the time, Bella was very autistic. And when those characters with their kind of backgrounds, like Rosalie was... Um, I wouldn't exactly say rape survivor or sexual assault survivor because she very much died. But that sort of background was very important to a lot of people and portraying people surviving these horrors like going on with some form of life. Rosalie was very much changed by that experience and that very much colored her portrayal. She was very horrified by Bella wanting to become a vampire because she didn't have a choice. And that was portrayed very raw, very angry. And it wasn't necessarily the kindest thing to show, but I do think it was important to show is like Rosalie was pissed and the main character didn't really see that as a good feeling to have, but it was a real feeling. And I think there's a lot of things, even in media, that we go back and say was shitty uh, representation that might still be good. Like, we rip into Harry Potter all the time for things like Cho Chang and goblins with hooked noses and curly hair. Really not a great idea. However, there's also characters like Hagrid who are, that that is the most autistic man hyperfixated on nature and <laughs> the the gentle giant doesn't know his own strength there's so many things about that character that i resonated with growing up whereas just like my body became strange to me i became huge people feared me for things i had no control over and that portrayal of someone trying to be kind and doing their best in every situation like that was very important, even though the Harry Potter series as a whole is a trust fund jock that becomes a cop. <laughs> yeah, that's certainly a new way of looking at it. One I actually didn't think to look at uh, the series through that lens personally, um, which is like, yeah, I can absolutely see that now that you're saying it. So even with those... Uh, bad examples, like one of the most recent would be uh, Activision Blizzard with the several years running Overwatch series where they have this very diverse cast. There are all sorts of nationalities and personalities portrayed. They go uh, to links to show different sexualities. And I think even political leanings come into it quite a bit. And it's just, there are so many characters. Every time they add a new character, it's very unique. And at the same time, there's something so sanitized and 
uh, clinical about the way that they choose those characters and personalities that kind of rips a lot of the soul out of it. You you wonder, it's like, well, it's just diversity for the sake of diversity. You see they're, dollar they're just signs. ticking a box. And it's, it's offensive in that state. But at the same time, the caricatures aren't generally being negative. Nobody is a villain because of their minority that they belong to. And, and they took great care with that, and that's it's a big thing. It's capitalism wake, working its way in, but I still think that people are going to be able to see that and see themselves in those characters. So representation, even for the wrong reasons or done poorly, isn't worse than nothing. Yeah, that's actually something that I didn't think about emphasizing in this episode, but I absolutely should have. Um, a lot of times it's it's baby steps that's what's required. Legend of Korra catches flack nowadays sometimes from younger fans for not going all the way and doing anything beyond having Asami and Korra hold hands at the end of the very final episode. But at the time... That was a lot more than what we had. And only by having shows that do something small and don't immediately implode can we work our way up to things like the Owl House where we can have characters openly say they're bisexual in like the first season. Though, after decades of baby steps, it would be nice to see some larger leaps and bounds, and I think that's oh, absolutely. where fan fiction in particular is a great medium. When you take off this pressure for profit and universal uh, appeal, you can do so much more good for people who want to consume media and see themselves in it. Yeah, I that's what I say is the greatest and worst thing about fan fiction simultaneously is it doesn't have to pass through traditional publishing. All of the filters in traditional publishing that will uh, tend to squeeze out minority writers or writers who want to tell a story that's just not quite in with the norm... That's all gone away. In fan fiction, there is very little barrier to just putting it on the internet. And of course, the reason I say that's also the worst thing is that this means there are often typos, which can kind of drive me up a wall sometimes. It's the it's a great place to work on a craft. I personally didn't get into terribly much fan fiction writing. Um, before I turned to writing my original characters and eventually publishing a story. And I have definitely found from publishing and contacting publishers that there's a lot of interesting efforts going on with publishing houses. Some of them are only accepting submissions from minorities right now. And there are, that's just like the strangest thing to think about is like, we don't want your book unless it's BIPOC or things like that. And at, on one hand, 
I am glad for this. It is shutting out my book. Uh, I, I did have to self-publish, but that's not something that I think is bad just because I've personally not benefited from it. <laughs> like, it's not about me. And those efforts to bring diversity even in uh, the most, I don't know, heavy-handed way are still something that it's good to see. There's people on TikTok from what little I've watched of it that are doing these lists and specifically seeking out minority authors and characters. And that's not a box that I really fill, and that's okay. Uh, my book, I do, I did put a lot of effort into showing real people and uh, portraying the diversity of my friends and recreating the bits of their personalities into the characters of my story. And in the end, that ended up being like people reviewed it and said, wow, diversity. And it was like, yes, that's a side effect of knowing real people. So I don't know exactly where I'm going with this. It's kind of a garden path sort of thought process, but there's efforts being made to diversify the stories that are even published, but still fan fiction is a very good medium for exploring those things. Speaking of traditional publishing and, and BIPOC authors, Riley, have you heard anything about ReviewGate? Oh, yep. I knew this was going to happen. This will be old news by the time this episode comes out. I saw one Tumblr post about how several people are being re uh, uh, review-bombed. I do believe I know the author of Wrath Goddess Sing, though I haven't talked to her lately, and I know that her book is one of the subjects of that, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, that sucks. I don't, I condemn the practice of review bombing, but I don't have an opinion beyond that. So in this case, it was actually one white author who made multiple accounts, uh, to try and trip up her quote-unquote, competition for her novel that was coming out next year. Um, Keyword was, apparently. Yes. The latest I've heard of this is that uh, she lost her publishing deal. Uh, they will not be putting her book out. She had an Illumicrate deal. That's not happening anymore. Um, is this like a first-time author or someone who's... A debut who's... author, yes. How the hell... Did they get? Uh, wow, that, that it's astounding to be like debut authors. That's such a rare kind of break to get, and to have a publishing house pick you up and illuminate, and then to greedily try. <laughs> oh my goodness! I yeah, that's a fucky walky. Uh, because. The author, I can't remember her name right now. Uh, her career is over. 
Uh, the yeah. book was dropped uh, by Del Rey, I believe. And she's not going to get published for a while, if ever, I suspect. Because you don't do that. That's tremendous breach of acceptable conduct. As well as just a dick move. Something that we kind of touched on earlier episode that I want to mention that's a little related is how not to do diversity. While I'm certain a decent chunk of our listener base is white, we have most of our listeners are in North America, specifically U.S. and Canada. So for the presumable large chunk of you that are white, how do you start including folks from other cultures? Well, don't treat it like a checkbox. That's one of the things that in cases like Overwatch kind of can make it come off as hollow is it feels like they're just trying to get a certain amount of, all right, this one's from here and this one's from there. And that, that that's hard to manage. But I would treat it like real people. There's people you know from a culture different than yours, whether or not you realize it yet. And I wouldn't just talk to one person, you know, I w- wouldn't just talk to one disabled person and then go, I can write a disabled character. Because minorities aren't some static monolith. There is complexity and there are different feelings in basically every group ever it's important to portray real people and the hardest thing about trying to portray these minorities is they might be groups of people that you don't necessarily know firsthand like trying to write something that resonates with people living with amputation or uh, chronic illness, if you don't know someone and really go and get their story and put in the work, that there's so much... It's so easy to make something damaging. Like... If you want to write about someone who has chronic pain and you just, uh, the extent that you portray that is they're addicted to Tylenol and uh, talk about their pain all the time, that's not good. That If you reach someone with chronic pain, you might just make them think that Either they'll recognize that it's a bad portrayal, or they'll think that it's a true portrayal and think worse of themselves because of it. And just about every sort of diverse person that you want to portray can be fumbled horribly in that way. So going out of your way to try and just reach people for the sake of reaching people the first step is to find those people in real life, not through other people's media. Not You can't just take a second hand, like reading Rick Riordan's books and 
seeing all the diverse characters and just thinking that since you know those characters, you can portray those sorts of people further, that can get you in so much trouble. The best thing to pull from is people you know, not media you know. Yeah, that's something um, where that's that's how stereotypes uh, get perpetuated is you have this, oh, you know, I've seen XYZ in this show I liked. I can write XYZ. And maybe what you write hits off and then someone else does that and it keeps happening and it can perpetuate even folks who don't necessarily realize that what they are writing is a harmful stereotype and so it's really important to just people not just what you see in a show what you hear from someone else but as firsthand as you can get uh, I believe we've talked about this before with comedy how for a lot of folks maybe the first time they're hearing about trans people is when they're hearing someone like Dave Chappelle talk about us. And they're cracking these jokes. They're using stereotypes. Well, Chappelle is specifically, but there's other comedians who do the same. And then folks pick that up who don't know that this is harmful, who don't know that this is in no way true. And it's it's hard to separate that out. It's damn near impossible to separate that out Unless you know some people. Uh, something that I actually praise Riordan's work with ADHD a lot, and Riley kind of mentioned this a little bit, Riordan fucked up, actually, with somewhat of a major way in how he talks about medication. It's really primarily only in the first book of the Percy Jackson series, but he portrays ADHD medication in a really negative light and portrays the people attempting to seek medication in a poor light as well. And while it was from overall a place of good intention of saying you don't need this medication to be who you are, you can just be you, it also carried some negative stigma and can help contribute to perceptions of ADHD medication that are false. Now, for me, ADHD meds work great. They don't work for everyone. And if I were to write an ADHD character, I'd have to grapple with that of my experience is not the only one. Yeah, I hadn't even really remembered all of that. I know that had a pretty profound impact on me that I hadn't considered. Uh, most of what I remembered from the portrayal of dyslexic kids at the beginning, like the whole hardwired for Greek thing, I kind of scoffed at that. And I I do vaguely remember the notion of you don't need medication, you need community and mentorship and things like that. And I can definitely see that that might have had an uh, effect on my opinion towards medication, but also I had all of the influences of small-town conservative Christians who think that a preacher can be the perfect therapist and medication is unnecessary. <laughs> so, shit happens. Of different experiences with, with ADHD, 
Maya, you mentioned earlier that your ability to sit and read a book for hours uh, led to your diagnosis being delayed until later in life. Yeah, I was uh, the typical uh, diagnosis age for folks assigned male at birth is like six. I wasn't diagnosed until I was about 16 or 17. And I was 21. I was around, yeah, around six. But the thing is, it was kind of my ability to sit and read a book for hours that actually led to me getting a diagnosis. <laughs> I mean, that, that that would actually be uh, kind of... That that is an accurate method, right? That's because for me, that is a symptom of my ADHD. Of yeah, I will often focus on one thing to the exclusion of literally everything else. Yeah, and in in my case, it was I was sitting and reading a book in class. Yep, I would do that. That's silly. Everybody does that. <laughs> And if that phrase just went through your mind, maybe you need to make an appointment. Yeah, there's a lot of um, experiences that we all take as, oh, surely everyone does this, right? Right? For me, it was wondering what it would be like if I had been born a woman. Very normal thoughts. Universal, I dare say. Necessarily something I thought about every day, but... It happened often enough that I, upon later realizing I was trans, could chase could chain back years of, oh yeah, I did or thought this at this time. Fuck, that's really obvious now. One of the things people will run into that I personally found the fun way was... You also find other people that are like-minded and can create your own insular bubble and echo chamber of normal thoughts that everyone has. My <laughs> closest friend through middle school and high school, we were both just very normal. And the most normal. A even. few years ago, we had the nice conversation where she was asking me how I felt about. I'm blanking on the name, the Celeste, how I thought about Celeste and just kind of feeling the waters. And it's like, my good friend, I have been on estrogen for four years now. Are you telling me that you are also trans and have been a girl this entire time? <laughs> <laughs> that is, in fact, what happened. That just reminded me of the meme I've seen going around on Tumblr. Achievement get. Bechdel's test passed. <laughs> Two totally cis men look up at the achievement and make questioning faces at each other. <laughs> Actually, there is something topical. Uh, sorry to be on the Percy Jackson train today, folks. Uh, it's a good train. You're I stuck on it with me. Um... There is a actually probably a really good example for us to talk about the Percy Jackson show. There is been there is now being a TV adaptation. Well, at the time of recording, it hasn't come for out yet. For the first time ever. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> by the time uh, this episode is published, it will be out. 
Uh, I believe the first three episodes will, should be out by then. Uh, and it's has received a decent amount of backlash for the fact that one of the characters in the show, Annabeth, is being portrayed by a black girl. Originally in the series, she was white, blonde hair. And Riordan actually is involved with the show, and he has said she was the one who fit the character best. The character of Annabeth wasn't necessarily written a certain... Well, okay, it was kind of written that way, but he felt she did the best job at portraying the character. And you know what? If we can have something a little bit different, it's an adaptation. It doesn't need to be one for one on everything. Yeah, it's going to be hard to for fans to be angry at that and justify that in the wake of the creator's wholehearted the creator's wholehearted support yeah that's that's one of the things that i hear a lot of times when a character's race is changed uh in an adaptation is oh but the creator wrote it this way well what if the creator would do it differently now um that is actually something that's changed in riordan's books originally the cast was very white and looking at his later works where he's realized hey maybe I don't want to do that, it has changed, and his cast is much more diverse. This isn't to say that the author's feelings towards a work are the only or the best perspective. Once something is put out there and released to the public, there's a very real sense where their feelings of canon are not the end-all be-all anymore uh particularly when it comes to i mean the whole dumbledore is gay thing is uh, oh i won't get into that actually but (laughs) um, there there's the ways that fans take ownership of these characters particularly in fan fiction where they will kind of adopt them and say this person is now such and such expression of a thing important to me and always has been. There's people will tout canon and say that the author intended, and that doesn't always matter. Sometimes representation is unintentional and saying that this is a case where the canon matters, the author's feelings matter more than anyone else's, it would be disingenuous to say that this is an exception to that case. It's not about the fact that the author endorses it, makes it perfectly okay. But that certainly helps. <laughs> yeah, it's it shuts up a lot of really stupid arguments from folks who just want to be mad about something. And personally, I'm looking forward to see uh, new portrayals of Percy, Annabeth, and Grover from what we got in the movies so many years ago. God, those were terrible. Nothing has stuck with me more about Grover than the uh, depiction that he literally galloped whenever there were enchiladas in the lunch cafeteria. still the funniest (laughs) thing to me. What a quirky, funny little boy. 
Well, I don't know that there's any other representations of diversity that I want to bring up and pick apart. Anything coming to mind, Maya? I'm struggling to think of stuff. There's, I guess, one last thing I kind of wanted to mention at some point. Uh, and it's not much for usually what we talk about on this show, because it's not a book. It's not a podcast. It's not a movie or TV show. It's not fan fiction. What is it, a video game or real life? <laughs> <laughs> it's also not a video game. It is a series of ads run by Subaru in the 1990s. Oh, I think I know where you're going with this, but keep cooking. <laughs> Subaru in the 90s wasn't doing too hot, and I'm paraphrasing some from a Priceonomics article I read earlier today in preparation for the episode. Uh, it's really well written. I recommend you go check it out for yourself. But Subaru was struggling and needed to break out of what they were doing. If they continued the path they were on, it wasn't really very economically viable for the company. They were competing in the same kind of man's man type market that you see a lot of uh, trucks, pickup trucks these days marketed in, and they weren't doing very well. So one of the things Subaru did was they looked at all right, well, who on earth is buying our cars, and how can we get more of them to buy them? And lesbians thought they're just so practical for when we want to go camping. They did actually notice that there were a, amongst other groups, including folks who worked uh, as like park rangers and stuff, uh, IT professionals, I believe was one I remember being mentioned, they saw a lot of female single head of households. Eventually, someone uh, in Subaru put two and two together and realized, wait a minute, these are lesbians. After some internal discussion, they eventually decided, well, why not market to the lesbians? They actually at first tried something that was a little bit more overt, and it didn't do as well as a more subtle message. So having something such as Xenolover, referring to popularly interpreted as queer. I don't know if it was actually that queer. I haven't seen it myself. Uh, show from the time. And kind of subtle queer themes in like the language of the advert itself was what did best for them. And that's one of the things that helped keep Subaru alive and as the company it is today. And so it's... We're not just blowing smoke or talking about things we would personally like to see this absolutely is an option economically especially as being homophobic is less and less in vogue well you're gonna lose fewer people one of the things actually that super happened was they got a lot of angry messages from conservatives about the ads and then they realized wait a minute None of these people were going to buy one anyways. And that was true. None, none of the folks that were complaining, none of the folks today that are complaining about diverse media are 
actually terribly likely to buy in. The folks, most of the folks who buy in and go in with gusto are either going to enjoy your diversity or won't mind. I mean, I, I know I, for one, buy in a hell of a lot more when I know there's lesbians and something, but I am a very easy sell. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, we know. Uh, give me two or more queer people in a box and uh, start shaking the box, because I'll come running. <laughs> Treats? No treat. Treats? No treat. <laughs> Alright, I think that is about everything we have to say today. Unless I'm wrong. No. What's in the mailbag? Nothing new in the mailbag today. So, if you want to get in touch with us, uh, give us some more examples of diversity, or yell at us for forgetting to include something obvious and important, you can reach out to us. Uh, our email address is fanfictapes at gmail.com. Uh, you can also leave us a comment on our YouTube channel or a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, Spotify still does not allow reviews, but we still appreciate any five stars you leave there as well. Uh, we do have a social media presence on uh, Twitter, formerly X. Maya, I believe you run that channel. I do. The at for that channel is at Fanfiction Tapes, capital F, capital T. It's one word. Uh, mostly tweet about upcoming episodes. Sometimes I will talk a little bit about what it was like to record the episode, you know, who we had on. And I'll also shitpost sometimes, as that is a occupational hazard of leaving a Twitter account in my hands. Riley, do you have any social media or web pages you would like to share with our listeners while you're here. I have the web page for my book. Uh, it's com. There are two other lovely Riley Quinns, which you can find links to on my page. But uh, there you can find details, little bits of uh, descriptions for the book and the characters that I wrote, and also... Uh, see a little teaser about the upcoming story that I'm working on, uh, Ace Vampire Romance. I didn't know there was a teaser there yet. I'm going to have to go check that out. Uh, I've heard a little bit. I'm excited to hear about it. And read it. Because I, I know myself, I know I'm going to get a copy. You'll get a pre-published version, I think. Oh, wow. Well, folks, I am and have been Maya. Today I was joined by... Riley. And I am Ian. Until next time, bye.